You are now listening to Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Fregera. It's a podcast designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity, how we can rise above it, claim our divine inheritance, and return the soul power to the people. All right. Welcome, 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 everyone to Soul Power to the People podcast. My name is Tess Regera, your host, Soul Powered Executive Coach. And today we have a special guest, Julie Chris of Child Protection League. That's correct. All right. Everyone, you know that this podcast is all about rising above crimes against humanity and the assault on our children bypassing parents, bypassing the family has been very obvious, so blatant and so out of control lately. So this podcast is designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity. And the purpose is to create awareness where we are being dumbed down on a consciousness level. And they are starting with our children at school. And that is just not okay. It's just not okay. And I am also curious to find out with our guests how we, from all the work that she's doing, what are the tips and strategies she can share with us to return the soul power to our children so they can reclaim their wholeness that is their divine birthright. So Julie has been active on um, setting policy issues for more than 40 years. And since 1998, she has served on the boards of two child-centered Minnesota nonprofits addressing the concerns of parents of school-aged children and protecting children from exploitation, indoctrination, and violence. In 2013, Julie joined the newly founded board of the Child Protection League, or CPL, in Minnesota, and she now serves as chairwoman of the board. So CPL, Child Protection League, studies and reports on legislation, public policies, and cultural trends relating to children, and then informs the public about what they mean so that parents and the public personally may impact. Child Protection League informs parents and the public on issues that impact children, equipping them to act together and individually on their invincible power of being a parent and citizen. And I tell you, Julie, I don't know what I'm going to do if I uh, if I still have young children at this age and time. I don't know how, how, how I can do it. There's just so much of the government overreach going on that I'm observing. In fact, my own children have been indoctrinated in college level. So can you imagine the influence on very young children? They really start very young. Julie, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Please introduce yourself. Okay, I am Julie Quist, and I am chair chairman of the board of the Child Protection League. And as uh, Tess mentioned, that we uh, work to protect children from indoctrination, exploitation, and violence. And the way we see ourselves is empowering and equipping parents and the public 
to be able to protect children, uh, we don't know. I mean, people just don't know what to do. How do we approach this? And what we feel that is important to do is the first thing is knowledge to let people know what is happening and then how it's happening. And then just equipping them and empowering them with the inner strength to express you know, our own authority as, as, as citizens and as parents and as family. And that's a big deal because uh, we're often, even when we carve out time to do this, because as you know, you know, we're just inundated with what all that we have to do, all we're involved in, everybody's very, very busy. People don't, don't really know what kids are getting in the classroom for the most part. They only get glimpses of it here and there, comments and everything this child might say. But with the uh, COVID, a lot of families learned more because there was distance learning. And it really opened some doors that's new for us because we've been trying to, to communicate things to parents and, and we have some success. Uh, when they, in their own living rooms, their own kitchens, saw these things coming through, it shocked people. They, they weren't prepared to know what their kids were actually getting. And so for us, that's, that's been kind of an, a new awakening. And we're able to actually do some more to help them understand what the bigger picture is that's going on there and let them know that really there is a war against children right now. And it expresses itself in a number of ways that is some of the things I'd like to discuss. So it's knowledge on the one hand, and then on the other hand, and that's really key. It's so fundamental, the knowledge of what it means, where it's coming from, and then equipping them with tools for how to work together to address some of these things. And it's an intimidating thing for most people, but there are so many wanting to work together on these things now. So it's, it's really encouraging in that respect. So what are the examples that has come to light during the pandemic? Well, the first one I want to talk about is the comprehensive sexuality education. And it's really not our sex ed that we, that we got when we were being raised. It, it teaches, it's not simply anatomy, pregnancy, STDs, birth control, sexual violence, which is pretty basic stuff that kids have to know. The new agenda is called sex ed is a vehicle for social change. And that's really their words. That's exactly their words. Sex ed is a vehicle for social change. So they're using it as, an, as a tool, a strategy to make change that the public and the parents haven't bought into. They don't know that. One of the key organizations that deals with these issues um, that has been instrumental at in it is called SICUS, and I'll give you the acronym name, but it doesn't really matter. It's called Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States. And then just that's forget that. <laughs> that's just what SICUS stands for. But they're very instrumental in pushing this through, and they've actually made a change to their uh, to the, the the logo that they have called SICUS sex ed for social change. So that's that's exactly what they're doing. SICUS advances comprehensive sexuality education as a means to build a foundation for what they call a long-term culture shift that will impact every level of society. You know, so that's really a bait and switch, isn't it? Because it is. you, you send your kids through and you think, oh, they're getting sex ed. And we all have ideas about what this is. And, and we think, you know, I mean, that's, that's important. That's good. They have to know these things. And how do we know that 
that they've made it into a strategy for a culture shift. And these are their words, a long-term cultural shift that will impact all levels of society. So um, they do this through what is called, I mean, a number of different ways, but in sex education is that they interpret sexuality education as the right for young people to be sexually active. So that's a whole different thing than encouraging them to hold off until they're older. Because in fact, early sexual involvement for young people has been demonstrated harmful for them in a number of ways. They're much more vulnerable to STDs when they're younger. I don't know, maybe a lot of people don't know this and they don't teach it in, in, in comprehensive sex ed, that women, for example, young girls are much more, much less protected physiologically from infection uh, coming in until they get older when they have much more of a, of a developed uh, boundary that resists infection. They don't teach that. So what they actually teach is the how-tos of being sexually active. And they do this in the name of, oh, they have to know all this, but they are At promoting age, it. Well, actually, one of the most common books that's used in comprehensive sex ed is called It's Perfectly Normal. And they say right on their book that that's aimed at 10-year-olds. In that book, they promote and, well, let me just say they promote anal sex and oral sex as long as it's consensual. You know, now when you're looking at 10-year-olds, I mean, in this book, which is very, very popular in that field, Masturbation is the other thing that they really feel that it's their role to teach, which isn't really the school's role. I mean, regardless of what people think, that's fine. But that is not the role of schools to do the role of the parents there. And it sexualizes young children. It's like a how-to book of, what, uh, of sex. So, for example, they, there's one presentation that includes what they call dental dams, and that's that's a way to present a barrier that protects them, whether it's through a, per, a person's mouth uh, or their genitals or their anus. And this is just presented as a normal sort of thing. Here's a way that you protect yourself. So this is safe sex. Well, this is not appropriate. <laughs> I, it's very explicit. I mean, it's really amazing how... I'm going to pull yeah. on. So, if I had young children, I would pull them immediately. Well, exactly. Exactly. Well, the other thing that it does is it promotes gender fluidity from pre-K on. So young children especially are vulnerable to this. They, they are actively, you know, wanting them to question what gender they are. And there are numerous books out there. The schools are full of them. And you'll get them. I mean, just about every school has in pre-K, they've got these, these books on, oh, George has a dress. And isn't this lovely? And, you know, what about you? How do you feel? And what they do is they conflate stereotypes of male and female with gender identity. So if you have a, a guy that is somewhat effeminate, he is considered, oh, he's really doesn't identify as a boy. Well, those are stereotypes and they aren't false stereotypes. I mean, you know, you can have a lot of variation between male and female without assuming that everybody has to choose gender. So they, they give them right from the beginning ideas that you need to question what gender you are. And it isn't just male or female, it's, you know, innumerable 
different kinds of genders you can choose besides male, female, bisexual, no sexual, no questioning. Sexual? Yes, that's, that's considered a gender uh, identity is no gender. So it is absolute chaos in the thinking and the mind of an individual. And when they do this from the earliest ages, you know, children are extraordinarily confused by this, but it is deeply embedded in schools right now. And people really don't have a sense of how deeply it's embedded. For example, in Minnesota, we have a Department of Education that goes out and trains teachers and administrators and principals and school board members, not so much school board members, but tells them all about this kind of approach. One of the pictures that they use very much is called genderbred boy or genderbred person. And in this visual, you have different parts of your identity. You have, you have your identity, and you have your attraction, and you have your biological sex, and you have your expression. So there are four different levels of who you are, your identity. And this is, when, you, when you're talking about a gender-bred person, who are you targeting? You're not targeting 16-year-olds. You're targeting pre-K. You're talking about kindergarten. Yeah. They also have a um, unicorn that they use the same way. Well, who goes after unicorns? It's the young people. So it's a mix and match kind of thing. You're different, diverse. You have one expression. You have one biological sex. You have one uh, identity. Uh, there are four different levels of, of, of mix and match of who you can be. And this is, this is uh, being promoted in a big way in the schools right now. And, and, and parents don't really have any sense of it. So you wonder why is there this huge explosion all of a sudden of gender identity, you know, transgender, why is that happening? Um, it's not that there isn't some of that, that's what you might say, just naturally coming on, but this is being actually promoted. And it's a very, it's worth a lot of money to a lot of people, because if you get identified that way, and oh, a young, your young, you know, seven or eight year old comes home and says, you know, I, your, your daughter comes home and says, I think I'm a boy, you know, I just do. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from nowhere. And I mean, it's, I'm not saying that there are never any, you know, actual cases. It's called gender dysphoria in the psychological world, which is a, you know, it's it's a dis, disorientation. And you try to, you know, you try to get them back to reality. At this point, any feelings people have, you must affirm. Any feelings that they have, you have to affirm. If you don't affirm the way they feel, and they're giving all these suggestions on how they're supposed to be re-questioning this, if you don't affirm it, you are harming them according to their thinking, and you are hating them. Literally, people who object to this are called haters because they don't affirm the feelings. Well, I don't know about you, but I raised a bunch, a bunch of children, and I know that as they go along, their feelings dominate in ways that aren't necessarily attached to reality. And you have to help them through these stages. And I don't mean just in sexuality. I mean, in all kinds of things, just so feelings, you know, I just, I feel bad about myself. I just, I don't, I just, you know, you have terribly, terrible feelings about yourself. You have to get past that. You don't say, yeah, you're right. You're a terrible person because you feel that way. Well, this is, is like 
what they're doing with the gender identity. They have feelings that come from suggestiveness to a large part, and also uh, a group, you know, it's the herd mentality. It becomes the thing now. Now it's kind of a thing to be edgy, to be challenging your gender. And so then they start giving them, no kidding, hormones. And yes, I heard of that. Oh my God. But there's a lot of that. And, and they bypass parents. They bypass parents. Parents don't have the right to say, you can't do this to my child because I am the parent and I'm saying you can't do this. But this has taken such a deep hold that the schools do not have to inform the parent if the child is expressing these feelings. The parent does not have to be notified if they're actually referred for health treatment in one way or another on gender. The parent is bypassed in many cases. Now, I'm not saying it's, every, it's exactly the same in every school. Of course not. And there are many, many, I'm not saying everybody is bad in the school system. But there is a paradigm that's operating in the schools right now that is dominating to the point that teachers are afraid to speak up. You know, administrators are afraid to speak up because they're attacked if they challenge this way of thinking. So, um, okay, that's the gender part. I mean, then there's a, let me just, let me just go back to a document that Planned Parenthood has put out a few years back. It's called Exclaim Young People's Guide to Sexual Rights. It's a Planned Parenthood, they call it a declaration of, of, of young people's rights. And in that, they make the statement that it is important for all young people around the world to be able to express, experience, and experience and explore sexualities. And this can happen only when their sexual rights are guaranteed. They're encouraging the expression of young people. They say, um, what does this entitle young people to do? And it's no matter their age. They, they specifically say no matter their age, their gender, or their sexual orientation, they have to be allowed at, at, you know, nobody's allowed to interfere with their right to express themselves. And they, they promote the removal of parental involvement uh, in these decisions. They promote what's, they, they have documents out there that talk about what is sexual pleasure like, and then they describe it. I could quote it, but I'd rather not because it gets really you know, it's just not not fun to read these things, but they're trying to draw them in to here's what it's like. They, literally, they're, they're describing sexual pleasure and they say that, have fun, explore yourself. That's the kind of information they're giving out. And I mentioned several times in, in these things and we give presentations on this. There's an individual uh, named Yako Buyans, who's internationally recognized for his work to stop child sex trafficking. He actually produced a movie called Eight Days, and uh, in which child is um, 18 year olds trafficked. And he did this as a demonstration of how this is happening in every zip code in the country. Did it's you not say just 18 limited. year old. No, she was. This girl was 13 when she was trafficked. Oh. oh okay. And the 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 topic of this of this movie. It's called Eight Days. Is the name Eight of the days. movie. Okay. So he took one look at this comprehensive sex education. In particular, the book It's Perfectly Normal, which is really considered like basic. And he said 
that comprehensive sex ed in the public schools does the grooming for pimps and predators. What it does is it removes the natural barriers that children have to interacting on a sexual level. I mean, you, you, you can talk about things with them. It just normalizes that. You can look at naked pictures and that's okay in mixed company. I mean, it just that you can look at people doing sexual acts from a very young age and that's okay. And you're talking about it in a mixed, you know, boy, girl, like you're going through puberty and you've got all of this. It's, it's um, very explicit, extraordinarily explicit. And in a, if I were to give this to a child myself of that age, I could be, it would be illegal because it's giving obscenity to a young person and that's illegal. But in the schools, you know, the schools in, some, in many states, quite a few states actually, including my own, which is Minnesota, there's an exemption from obscenity statute for schools. So anything schools give or say or do is not illegal, regardless of how obscene it is. And so you'll see that in the literature too. So why, why is this happening? You know, people are saying, what, what, what's the matter? Don't they have any sense of, you know, what's good for kids? The fact is, is that it comes from a transformation that has happened in the schools over the last number of years and have, have taken over that basic understanding of what I call paradigm of education. And it's called transformational education. So the purpose of education changes from instilling academic knowledge and skills to transforming values, attitudes, and beliefs. So academic, academics itself becomes incidental to education. It's not the core curriculum. And it's a, that, that is the, um, the new paradigm. And so one of the ways this is done is, is through comprehensive sex ed. Um, it, it, transformational learning means a deep structural shift and I'm going to quote from somebody, the director of transformative learning in Toronto, this is, this is international. It's, he says, he describes it as a deep structural shift in the basic premises of thought, feelings, and actions. It's a shift of consciousness that dramatically and permanently alters our way of being in the world. Now, that's not always bad. If that's something you choose to do as you, you want to transform, that's, I mean, that's just Sometimes it's a good thing, but this isn't something we send our children to school to have some individuals transform them to something we we don't know. We don't know what it is, and we don't accept it. It's a cultural shift. So our culture, as we ex we, we raise our children under under certain precepts of morality and guidance and whatever, and that is overruled, intentionally overruled. Um, yeah, and so in every state, they're right now trying to change the laws uh, so that um, it's a mandate for every school because all the schools don't want to do all this, but they're trying very hard to do that. And that's one of the things that we do as an organization is we tell people what it is. And then we say, this is the, this is the bill that is the, the legislation that's proposed that will require this. This is what it will, it will require of your school, whether they want to or not. And then what we'll do is we'll help them uh, express that to other people. They share it with other people and they express it to their legislators. They express it to their school board members. 
And, you know, if you're all by yourself sitting in a room and you're just finding this stuff, I mean, you're just, for the most part, unless you're an unusual individual, it's not something that you can just kind of create on your own and say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. But there's a whole movement of people who are uh, working together to help encourage each other. I mean, there's an actual a national people are, are connecting to each other saying, here's what we're doing here. Here's some, here's some, here's some um, documents that are helpful to understand what it is and what they're doing. So that's, that's kind of what we do. Uh, in, in one of the schools, for example, there is a, in the English department, <laughs> the English department of their, uh, their school, they have a mission statement. And I'm going to read to you uh, their mission statement. It says the English department in Champlain Park, where it is, aims to develop critical literacy skills in our students and ourselves through a dedication to fostering equity, student empowerment, and social justice. Okay, so, I mean, oh, really, that's the purpose. That's the purpose of your education system is to uh, get the kids focused on social justice. Um, why is that the focus of the English department? Um, they define critical literacy as the ability to uh, respond to text for social justice. So everything is focused on activism and they're changing the, the, um, the students into activists instead of equipping them with the knowledge of our, our history, our, our literary background. It's for the purpose of engendering social change. So the, the whole transformational education has, has been focused on social change not on education equity and I mean, excuse me, education um, um, accomplishment. And as a result, you know, the, the results of, of our, of, in our schools, you know, the accomplishments have really deteriorated quite significantly over the past number of years. I mean, we're not as competitive as other countries as we used to be. Oh my God, that is just heartbreaking. Uh, what you just shared there uh, it makes me feel so sad. Because, you know, in the work that I'm doing, let's just say that a person experienced their father, you know, divorcing the mother at a young age. So that child grows up with confusion all through life. And that's where I come in as a coach is, you know, uh, where does that block their growth? Where, where did their growth get stunted because of that confusion? But this confusion, as I'm hearing you talk, is actually inflicted. It's actually planned. It's actually programmed into really young kids. And another thing that came through my mind as I was listening to you was the stark contrast of when I was young and growing up and, and uh, went to a Catholic, uh, private Catholic school. <laughs> so it, it, it's extreme, right? from do not mas masturbate and do not even think sexual thought. It was run by the nun <laughs> where I went to school. To what pre-K encouraged when they should be playing, when they should be um, just be in their pure innocence and right. joy. Right. Instead of being given all these ideas, all these ideologies. And I'm also shocked. I mean, I have some sense of this happening, I'm, I'm following that um, 
there's treatment for sexual change and it's happening at very young age. There's a case I'm following where the father is really fighting the mother for um, the hormone um, that she wants the kid to have. It's enraging. Plus the critical race theory, plus the, you know, what's happening in vaccination. And it's not just in the United States. It's, it's really pushing their agenda onto the children. So yeah, why is this happening? <laughs> what happened? How 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 did <laughs> right. we allow this to happen? Right, right. As I said, you know, there's a real history of this over a long period of time. And I mean, I, I can take you back to it, it, the father of transformational education. And his name is Antonio Gramsci. He was an Italian Stalinist writing in the 30s. And, you know, he was a Marxist, but mm. he understood at that time that was like after, you know, the, the Soviet Union uh, was, you know, was around and everything, but they weren't able to really convince the, you know, the proletariat that they were, that, that they were oppressed. And he realized that it's not economic so much as Marx said, but it's culture. And you, you cannot really have a Marxist revolution unless you actually change the culture first. You can't just, you can't just say, you know, some are poor and some are rich and, and so overthrow the government. And so his understanding was that the group that controls the social institutions will control the rest of society. So political power is built on cultural power. So that is kind of where the culture wars began. He's the father of the culture wars, multiculturalism. And um, so he really believed that then the primary strategy on that, you know, was this, this long march through all the cultural institutions, which is the uh, the arts uh, and and the churches and the and uh, the the, the uh, government agencies, but mostly it was education. He said, you know, education is the key point where you take where you um, you know where you you have to make the change. So you create social change by changing the way people think, and the goal of of um, of transformational education is the total transformation of culture and society in order to create a worldwide Marxist state. So it's really an overthrow of, of, our, of our free system of government where we, uh, we represent, you know, it's representative governments where we elect our own, our own leaders based on certain principles of law. And um, so he really, he took off in the, in the, uh, in the 90s a lot in, in, the, in the education system. And that just took over the universities um, in the teacher training, uh, and and you know, so it's it's been a long. Well, we've been actually in another an organization that I was part of before Child Protection League. It was called Edwatch, where we really tracked where it came from and what was happening at the time, and it was really hard to tell people what was going on because everyone was focused on something else. What was happening in schools was just too complicated, whatever. So, you know, it's been something that back 20 years ago, we were telling people, I want to, I want you to know that if they, if they, if they're successful with what they're doing here, this is where we're going to end up. And that is where we're ending up. Um, So I'm just grateful that people are actually waking up and, and, and actually wanting to do something. I'm, I'm amazed right now that people 
are starting to show up at their school board meetings. And, you know, you can't do that alone. And you can't, you know, you have to have some background. You have to know what you're talking about a little bit. You can't, you can't just be real emotional. And that's part of what they're doing. People are just sort of organically coming together. I've, I'm just seeing a lot of that now. And it's, it has to do with the conference of sex ed. But as you pointed out, uh, critical race theory is one of the things that's really, yeah. uh, really getting people in a state because, you know, their kids are, I just saw a video of a, of a, what, how old did he be? I think it was a 16 year old boy. And mm -hmm. it was just last Monday night, he was at a school board meeting. Uh, he testified. Of course, there's, there was a group of about a hundred people who showed up at this. So he had a lot of backing, but he had prepared this presentation. He said, I started as a, as a freshman in, in high school last year. And he said, I want you, to, I want to tell you what it was like for me. And he said, I, I came into the, the first thing I did, but I, I was told that I was a racist. And I was told we, they, we were divided into people that were oppressor groups and not, and, and victimized groups and everybody in the, in the class. And then we were told that we had to, you know, we had to own our racism and we had to, and there was, they, they talked about the value of, of culture and then they gave, you know, all these different groups, you know, accolades about how wonderful all their cultures were. And there was nothing there for the majority of the students who were white. They don't have a culture. I guess they don't have a culture. The only cultures are those that aren't white. And so this, this is intentional. I mean, this is, we all understand, of course, that there's been a wrong, racial wrong in our country and every country in the world forever yes. yes and we understand that and we have we we you know well good-minded people always want to correct what is wrong this is not that this is not they you know they claim people don't want to look at the history of racism in our country oh yes we do everybody wants to look at that and say that was wrong and we need to fix that there's no this is intentionally taking that and using it as a weapon to divide. You're dividing people and you're creating people who are ashamed of who they are and you're creating people who are who are victims and and, and knowing that that they haven't they have been wronged and therefore they have the right to things they don't have. Um, it's extremely destructive. And um, they the the individuals, uh, the, the the young people it's going to create, you know, it is, it's creating, they, okay, they don't talk about not being racist. It's not that anymore. It's being anti-racist. The definition of being an anti-racist is that you become active. You, you overthrow the structures in society to prove that you are not racist. You're an anti-racist. Anybody who doesn't do anything is defined as racist. Anybody who doesn't say anything is defined as a racist. So anybody who complains about the fact that it's unfair the way it's being presented, it's an evidence of racism. You know, there's, it's a complete circle. There is absolutely no criticism of it. Any criticism is evidence of racism. So, I mean, that's how bad it is. So here's this young, this young man. He was really expressive and yeah. and it was it was heartbreaking because yeah. he said i don't myself and my 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 peers why 
why do we want to, why should we be here? And unless we become a leftist activist, it's all left-wing ideology. Unless you become a leftist activist, then you are a racist and you are, you are an oppressor and you're defined as an oppressor. Very, very sad how it's all coming to life and also very encouraging that the brokenness in the systems are now being exposed so we can do something That's about right. it. That is so, right. That is uh, right. I'm really encouraged that you're encouraged because you've been doing this for a very long time. That must have been right. frustrating when no one was listening. It's or... very true. <laughs> <laughs> now, people would. There would be some people. But, you know, the thing that is really important is for people to understand the language because it's the language is so manipulative. Uh you know, they define racism as evidence of racism. Anytime there's a disparity between races, like an achievement gap, that therefore that is evidence of racism. And, you know, to and, and equity means enforcing equal outcomes. It doesn't matter whether, you know, who, who the people are, what, what, whether they come to, to, to class, whether they're in poor health, whether they come from troubled families, whether they have addictions. Equal outcomes is the only solution. And so you enforce outcomes. Um, and so what you have in that society is an equity-based form of government. And it would mean the end of individual rights, equality under the law, freedom of speech, federalism. We're seeing that going now. And it would be replaced by a race-based redistribu redistribution of wealth group-based rights instead of individual rights, active discrimination, uh, bureaucratic authority. Um, that's what you're, what you're facing. In fact, there's a whole curriculum. It's called <clears throat> the 1619 Project, which you may have heard of. Mm -hmm. And it's been promoted by the New York Times. And it's being actively implemented in many school districts in the country. Not all school districts in the country, many. But it is so radical. Uh, they, they, for example, they, for one thing, they just completely rewrite history. The history of the founding of our country is uh, is just in, inaccurate, um, and they don't, they don't even, they don't even deny that. They say, no, we know it isn't all accurate, but it's the narrative that's important. Now, get that. I mean, they they say, no, we we really know that. Now, I, we never said it was really accurate history. We just Thing. <clears throat> that's the narrative. It doesn't make sense. But according to this uh, one individual, his name is Ibram Kendi, K-E-N-D-I. And he and he's, he's one of the top um, uh, pr promoters of this critical race theory in the 1619 Project. And it's how to be an anti-racist. He says the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. So he actively believes that that whites need to be discriminated against in order to get to equal outcomes. I mean, it's it's amazing. How do you how do you get here? How do school board members even get there? And um, and it's the indoctrination system that has been in place for a long time, and people's just thinking has just been you know manipulated to the point that they think that makes sense, and that they think that's going to solve what, you know, our our free 
system. I mean, we have a lot of faults. I mean, we all know that, our country. But it's based on the actually the revolutionary ideas that all individuals, and they say men, and now it's men and women, all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator. So they have within themselves with certain inalienable rights. And that's the individual rights. And that includes private property, the right to free speech, the right to worship as you wish, the right to assemble, the right to equal protection under the law. You, you know, all people need equal protection under the law. These were basic, um, like revolutionary in the world. And um, many other countries have modeled themselves after that. And like that, that doesn't hold true anymore. That isn't according to this, um, what they're teaching in the, in the universities, in the churches, you know, where you're getting, they're getting their PhDs. It is very radical. And, um, and it's coming through now down to is, you know, our K-12 in a really big way. It has taken over the universities for quite a while. So when the kids go off to school, they, they, they get enveloped in this. Um, but now they're getting at it in kids. So you'll see like the, 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 the riding on the streets. Who, who are uh, the, those kids out there? I mean, they're young people. They're, you know, they're kids that have just been indoctrinated. And they have to demonstrate that they are anti-racist. How do they do that? They're out on the street. They're out on the street. And, and that's how they get uh, their affirmation as a human being. So anyway, going back to your point about how this uh, it, it's, it's encouraging that people are, are responding. It is encouraging. Um, and I mean, like I said, there, there are people that want to know now. And the good thing is, is that we have a lot of resources for them on our website. And we can, you know, if they ask us to come and speak and we just do it in Minnesota, we do it all over the country. You know, we'll come and we'll give them a presentation. We'll give them the basics. We'll give them tools. How do you talk to your school board member? You know, how do you, um, how do you connect with some other people in your area? Uh, you know, it's like, and then, you know, you, you all come together. And you, you, you encourage each other, you strengthen each other, and you do it out of love for your country. You do it out of love for your children, protecting your children. And you do it out of um, a conviction of self-affirming, where you, you, you get out of your fear of being criticized, because you're going to be criticized, you know, you're going to be criticized, you're going to be attacked, you know, and that's a new thing for a lot of people. And, and so it's not, you know, you have to come to some personal <laughs> understand, you know, I, this is what I am doing this, because it's essential for my children. And um, I'm not going to stop. And you, I've seen that coming forth in so many people. And it's yes. exciting to see. It is. It's exciting to see. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, my mind is blown that that's um, the kind of material is circulating in our schools. Um, when I, I sent my kids to private school too, just because I didn't trust what was going on in the public school. But do you know if there is a difference in the education and the curriculum between public and private? Um, Kind of I tell you, it's taken over the private school sector. You know why? Oh God, I mean, money talks, eh? <laughs> well, they're all licensed teachers. 
they're licensed by the same uh, organizations that, I mean, the teacher training, it doesn't matter whether they go into the private schools or not. I mean, and you can go into, into uh, you know, religious schools if you want. And, you know, it has, people have been so indoctrinated. It has to be everywhere that people are challenging it. I, I tell you, some of the worst places are some of the private colleges, honestly, um, yeah. because pe people expect them to be mm -hmm. so much better. And in fact, they can't, they can't jump on that bandwagon fast enough. And right. I, so really, yeah. it, it isn't a safe place, let me tell you. Yeah, no. Um, and uh, I know for a fact that, let's say, even if you're 18, 17, 18, 19, if you don't have that solid uh, upbringing, solid uh, esteem of self, those people who are normalizing pedophilia can get through to those children at 17, 18, 19. And that's why it's so heartbreaking that they start so young, pre-K. Yeah. That is... Yeah outrageous and and that that should not happen um right. I, i'm just heartbroken about that you, yeah. you know and and from zero to seven years old their brain they don't have filter and at seven years old Absolutely. whatever they learn from zero to seven it becomes gospel to them you know it's so it hard does. to reverse that process yeah, it is. Um, it, it, is. it really is criminal um, what they're doing to the children. Pre-K. Yeah. Normalizing you know, pedophilia. I, I, I just think an indication of that, that it seems to be on a different track, but it, I don't think it is. And that is the masking of children. Oh. Uh, you know. Yes. Uh, that it, it may, may, it sounds like, I mean, that's not content. What it is, is they obviously the same manipulation. care about children. They want to control them and keep them to be obedient and no matter what. And they, they can't breathe. They can't play right. They're supposed to be each other. They're supposed to be doing sports with it on is criminal what they are doing to our children physically i just think is a kind of a microcosm or, or reflection more than anything of what they're doing to their minds what they're right. doing to their to their bodies you can see it so easily these children should not be wearing masks on their faces and you know as far as the the COVID goes, we know they aren't even vulnerable. So why? Why would you put masks on children who are not vulnerable? What is the reason? There is there's something very insidious going on here. And right. and and so if you can see that they will do that physically, you know they do that, you know, psychologically, psychologically. mentally as well. They will. Right. And right. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound like we're demonizing all teachers. The, I mean, I know that teachers are afraid to speak out. They really are because they're going to lose their jobs. And so some of them do, and they'll take it to court and there's going to be, there's a big case and everybody's, you know, but individually, how many teachers, you know, can do that? 
they're feeding their families, you know, and right. this is what they've been trained to do. And I mean, I do believe teachers need to speak out, but I don't want to be judging them at, on a higher uh, scale than parents who need to speak out. And, um, and they're not, you know, so they're starting to speak. And, and I've seen teachers coming out and saying, keep it up, keep it up. You've got to keep coming. You've got to keep coming, coming to these meetings, say it, say it, say it. And, um, and then there are these other groups that, um, that come at you, you know, and they'll call you every name in the book. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're it's racist. Terrorism. You're, it's terrorism. What's going on? It is. It's domestic terrorism. Yep. Against your yeah. children and against, you know, anybody who speaks up to protect them. Right. Yeah. It and, and it really is important that we take back control over what's going on in our school system, in our governments, in our medical care, uh, in everything, in our food supply, right. in the air that's we right. breathe. Everything has been poisoned. And, and that's why I call the show Crimes Against Humanity, because it's not just one segment, one area of life. It, it, it's like everything. We are being attacked um, for the pure purpose of disconnecting us from our soul. I really believe that. I've seen evidence of that. It's, it's connected together. Like you said, it's so insidious. Mm -hmm. And so what can we do now if you, uh, for the next five minutes, if you could uh, help the audience, what's the first thing they need to do? Go to the website, or, like, just guide them through how to take back control over the education right. of their children. Right. Well, there's a lot of good information on the website. So informing ourselves is really key. And I think <clears throat> once there's a, a certain sense, you're, you're never going to completely have it all together before you do anything because we're always, always continually learning. So, uh, but I, I think is, you know, when you have some sense about what it is, it's very important to connect with other people. I think you, you said you're, you're disconnecting people from their soul, but you're also from each other. And right. as, sure. as you've noticed in the, the whole COVID uh, so-called pandemic, the whole intention is to separate people from each right. other so that they can't properly communicate, and they can't. They can't really. It, it's it's the division. It's it, it's important to divide people in their minds. Always keep people apart, fighting each other. So the communication, finding like-minded people in your area, is really important. Well, how do you do that? Um, so. It, it depends if you're there are there are groups that are working in, in in areas and you know finding those groups is one way. If there's no group operating, and there are ways to start, you know, a, a group and and one of the ways that it's done is is uh, you know even a, one or two people can decide. Let's put on a presentation. Let's bring somebody in and you know or, is, or even put on a a. a, a um, a presentation on you know a screen and have invites people to come make a public presentation when people come you know you and then you start talking and then you you start learning people who, uh, finding out other people you know who's who are like-minded so you have to start somewhere you can also start um uh, when you know something is is to is to try to find out in your local area what is being taught some of it is online you can go online and find out uh, committee is up to you know they all seem to have them and 
are who are they who are they using as consultants? Um, there are you know there are consultants that that come in to train people on the C, uh, critical race theory, and if if they're using them, then they need to be challenged on that. Some people have. Um, in it, this, okay, so what you said, how do you start? And starting, I, I think, does mean I would go to our website. There are other websites out there that are very good also, and you'll, you'll quickly see them um, if you start looking for them. An individual who has done just incredible work on critical race theory is Christopher Rufo, R-U-F-O, and he is the individual who, uh, who identified it nationally before everybody else. I mean, a lot of people knew it locally, but he challenged it. Um, so, you know, there's 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 just a lot of work that he's put out. He's put out a, a briefing um, guide, uh, you know, that is just extremely helpful in finding out the, what is it, where does it start from, where does it start? Um, <clears throat> uh, so those kind of research sources are, are, are really important. So I'd say, first of all, being informed. Secondly, trying to connect with groups that are active so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And if you do have to reinvent the wheel, you can get help from other groups that are operating and just say, okay, help me get started over here. Um, and like I said, I, I am just amazed within the last four weeks, I've just been aware of groups popping up in each individual school district and they just they just there and they they know each other because they're parents of the same you know schools and i and i i just think that's um that's a new thing and join that just join that that's that's a i mean that's a phenomenon it's a um it's a movement and um it's not it's not something that the other side the, the promoters of this insidious stuff they weren't expecting that. They were not expecting that. But when you get to a certain point, you've gone too far. It's a bridge too far. And suddenly it's like, I am not going to take that anymore. And like I said, when the curriculum came home into the schools, with into the homes with distance learning, that was an eye opener for a lot of people because you could tell them that it was there, but it's another thing for them to actually see it and see what their kids are being taught. And then to talk to your children and your grandchildren if you're, if you're of an older age and ask them, you know, start asking them, what are, they, what are they saying about this? What are they teaching? And just casual conversations, get them to start talking and you'll find out what they're starting to actually believe. I mean, they, they accept these, they absorb these things. When you send your children to school, the children aren't assuming they're supposed to criti critically look at their teacher. That's not, that's not the way it works. When you send your kids to school, you're telling your child, I trust that. I trust that. You trust that. And so you're not going to have a student go into the classroom and a, 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 a teacher says, you know, you don't have to be, you're not necessarily a boy just because you've, you know, you've got a penis. And, and, and so they're not going to say, oh, what? My teachers, they're going to say, really? Is that right? You know, I mean, they, they, like you said, they don't have a filter. I don't know about you, but I remember being young. And I remember, you know, being impacted by things people would say. I had no context. I had no filter. 
And it was just like whatever they said just imprinted itself on my brain. And I just took it in like that. And that's what people can do. And we've got to realize that if we're going to tell them they can't trust their what their teachers tell them, it's pretty, it's pretty radical for the child. And it's, it's a completely different situation than when we were in school, right? It's just it's that, a that's very different I'm smiling. situation. I, I don't think I've ever said the word penis until in, in the last 10 years. That's how uh, stunted my growth was in the sexual arena, in the um, allowing the sexual. But this is too much. You, you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, way on the way too permissive you know what I mean how, how about we we go into that natural self right like right in the middle where it's a natural exploration rather than being shushed by religion or yeah. being encouraged uh by our teachers oh my god uh and these are entrusted people right that we, we along, along those lines when we were in when we were in the legislature and trying to uh, demonstrate what was being taught in the schools, we we brought to the legislators. We would we would bring uh, you know copies of some of the material, and they wouldn't. Uh, so there was a report on TV. The local uh, TV station was reporting this controversy, and they and they said this material here is being put on every legislator's desk. We can't show it to you because we're not allowed to put this kind of material on the air. And it was very revealing because these were for 10-year-olds and they could see it, but they couldn't, they weren't allowed to put it on the TV. They could have put and it on TV because we're teaching it to the children. Yeah. yeah, you're teaching it to the children, but you can't, are not, we're not allowed to share that here. I mean, it's the same thing. It was too obscene, you know, it is too obscene. <laughs> so what they did in the legislature, one of the uh, one of the legislators took that book and started reading from it, you know, and he was, you know, he said, I know this is against legislative rules that I'm that I that I'm supposed to be saying things like this. He said, but I'll tell you what, if our kids are listening to it, I'm going to put it in the record. Here it is in the legislative record. <laughs> and he kept reading. So, I mean, it's that kind of courage we have to take is I don't, I don't like to talk about those things. It's not, and then they say, well, you think it's dirty. No, no, no. It's not anything to do with being dirty. It's, it's what's, what's, what's right. You know, you don't, you don't cross those boundaries in public and it's very personal. It's very sacred. You know, yes, a lot of is. those things are very sacred and personal and you're just dragging them out and you no know, and hanging them up to dry. And it's just it's it's uh, it's very offensive, very offensive. Well, thank you for all the work that you're doing on behalf of the children. Uh, thank you for your years and years and years of service. Thank you for coming on to the show. Those of you who are listening, please share. Thank you so episode. much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I did not expect to be, uh, to be outraged. And I hope many listeners are outraged too. And I from so. that, from that, create a momentum that will change the face of the earth, starting yes. with our children. Yes. Take care of our right. children because they are our future. Right. Um, right. And they're not meant to be dominated and controlled like this. They are people, they have soul, and they're, they're meant to be. Uh, who yeah. they came here to be. So thank you so much, Julie, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Vergara. We can no longer be the spectators of our own destruction. Take back your mind, take back your voice, take back your soul, take back your power. Join me again next time for the next episode of Soul Power to the People.